You're listening to the Simply Flawsome Show, a podcast designed for you to listen, learn, and leverage. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. this lady she inspired me beyond belief um, her energy her passion and her drive I felt was infectious so I'm really happy to have her on today's show to be able to share her life experience to be able to share her journey with you and what has happened on the way to enable her to get where she is today so I'd like to introduce Shabit Editing's great. So I'd like to introduce Sheba Bashir Kitchlu. Oh, thank you, Zoe. What a lovely introduction. That's so sweet. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to today and the mm. questions that we're going to have. So, so you take us, yeah. take us back. Where did it all start? You know, my life journey has been incredible. I was born in the UK. Mm-hmm. I've lived there all my life, and I'm the daughter of immigrant parents. My mother's from Pakistan. My father's from India. And to be very honest, um, when I was a really little child, I've always been very quiet and very reserved, but there's always been something inside me that's, that's always had a strong sense of peace. And, you know, during my life in, in the UK, I just went through lots of different amazing opportunities. And I think when I was 16 years old, I kind of stood up for myself and thought, you know, I really want to try and be independent. I want to try and do something for myself. And that's when I started working um, part-time as a student in a company called Harrods. And that's when I started really learning about self-empowerment and understanding how humans work and their engagement and also believing and trusting in myself. My parents have always brought me up to be, mashallah, very independent, very secure. But I think when I was 16 years old, when I applied for that job, I remember the lady saying to me, you know, you do need experience to work here. And I remember thinking, well, just give me a chance to have an interview. And when I had that interview, um, the lady was so gracious. She said, I like the way you're speaking, the way you've positioned yourself. You're very passionate. You're very sure about what you want. And we're going to give you a chance to work here. What were you doing at Harrods? So I was working um, as a sales assistant on the Saturdays. And I was obviously doing my GCSEs at the time and my A-levels and my degree and my master's. And I stayed at Harrods for seven years. And it was really for pocket money so, to get independence, So it's really. interesting. You said your job at Harrods taught you a lot about female empowerment. It did. You were a sales assistant. I was. What is there any specific event, anything that happened when you, know, you were in that role? When you're in when you're in those type of positions, I think it's down to the individual what they're looking to get out of it. What experiences are they looking to grow and nurture from those from from those positions? Even though it was just a sales assistant job at the age of 16, what it gave me was the ability to connect with people, the ability to understand who are these people that I'm talking to and what are their needs and how to fulfill their needs in a very short space of time, how to work out what was important to them, whether it was fine linen damask, whether it was embroidery or tapestries, whether it was, because I worked in many departments, fashion fabrics. What was important was the connection with people. What was important to me was being able to give them what they needed and vibe with them in a very short space of time. And we also had targets. So what it taught me was to come out of my shell, to trust in my skills, to develop and nurture my communication, to learn to be 
on the go at the time with no prep. So it really nurtured me for seven years to get into a space of confidence and really learn to articulate my voice. I had self-taught at body language, when to speak, when not to speak, how to be calm, when to be reserved. So in a way, I used the opportunity of working there as a chance to leverage my interpersonal skills and my ability to communicate. And I think that lay a lot of my foundation down. But also in secondary school, I was quite mature for my age and I had good friends around me, I had good parents, I had a good family. So just finding my own space without any pressure. That's when my, I think my journey of self-realization started. I was, and I was a very, very shy person. What two lessons can you take from your role at Harrods as a sales assistant? that you still utilise today? The art of communication and connecting with people, and especially strangers who I don't know, people who have no reason to be talking to me. I'm able to find a connection with a complete stranger and get that stranger to open up. And that's a skill I think I developed during the time of being on the shop floor and really meeting absolute strangers, connecting with them, finding out their needs, and then obviously closing a sale, but closing a sale from a compassionate angle rather than you need this. It was more, this is good, you like this, what do you think? And so building that connection and having empathy for people, especially strangers, that really, really taught me when how I to do that. When I first met you, Sheba, one of the things that really jumped out at me was your ability to lead from your heart and okay. not your head. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Explain that. Can you explain that to us and, and um, how, how you managed to do that? You know, that is a golden question. That is a really, really powerful and golden question. And I do get asked this a lot. Sheba, where do you find your sense of peace? Because it seems to be radiating from you. Mm. Alhamdulillah, mashallah, which is, which is really an incredible thing to hear. And it's a question I get asked a lot. To be very fair, I worked in corporate for seven years. I worked in information management solutions and I was in a very aggressive environment. And I've always had a space in my heart that's always been very calm and at peace and secure with my own spirituality, my own identity. And I think I went through a journey when I was in corporate when I realized that I wasn't really fulfilling my my true purpose. And when leaving that environment is when I really got this sense of peace and calm in my soul. To be able to explore charity work, to be able to work with people where I was using my compassion and empathy skills. That's when I started doing a bit of work with a counselling helpline in the UK. But I got to a stage in my life where I wanted to move away from the rat race and the materialism of everything that I felt I needed to be able to be successful after I finished my degree and my master's, because working in industry was very powerful. When I found my true purpose of what I wanted to do and be content with it, is when I really found that heart space and that security for myself. And then, naturally, with everything I was doing, I was just doing it from my heart, but also doing it from an inner peace perspective. So I think the turning point for me was really when I left my corporate environment um, and transitioned into kind of working with other people from a serving point of view, doing the counselling work. I was on the executive committee for a youth helpline in the UK, raising awareness about mental health. And then starting my business, A Far Pure Reflections, which for me was serving my soul, you know, educating people can about you, can you just take perception. Me back, can you just take me back to when you were working on the helplines with 
the youth's mental health. Yeah. Is there any one thing that kind of jumped out at you um, as a result of that work when you were dealing with these kids? Yeah, I mean, my role specifically was to be on the executive committee and to raise awareness about, you know, suicide and rape and forced marriages and these type of things. And I just felt really passionately about that work. So there was no specific case study that, I mean, there were so many, I could tell you so many intricate case studies, but my drive and force and passion was coming from, these are real grassroots issues that are happening with youth today. Let's try and work out how we can have a program in place or fi help fund this particular program into raising awareness that these are real issues and let's try and help and support that community. But there was a turning point for me definitely in my corporate career, mm. a mental health situation that occurred. And this is one of the reasons why I gravitate towards the helpline. And when they approached me, I thought, absolutely. There was a guy I used to sit next to, opposite in fact, um, in the evenings. And I used to remember listening to his words when he'd speak to his wife on the phone. And he would often say to her, you know, I can't come home tonight. I'm gonna be very home, I'm gonna be home very late. I've got so much work on. And this was at the time when the year 2000 bug was massive in, in the world and the company that I worked for had to have a lot of software and, and physical kind of hardware protocols in place to prevent that and he was in charge of that project. Mm -hmm. After that project finished this individual committed suicide in my workplace not physically in that location but he did it at home and that was a turning point for me that's when I really realized you know in certain environments people start questioning their value he started questioning his self-worth after the project had finished and when the company were trying to make him redundant. He realized that he'd given his whole world to this job and it, it, had been dis it disappeared overnight and he couldn't see his value anymore. And that's when I started really asking questions. This was in the middle part, beginning part of my career. Carried on doing the work that I was doing. But real turning points for me towards the end part of my career again in that corporate environment was when you know, grown men would come to me and, and literally break down. They would be in tears and, and I'd be counselling them without even realising I was doing this. What would you say to somebody who is experiencing difficulties, who doesn't see that value? How would you, how would you get them to, to recognise that? What I tend to do is, first of all, if somebody's in a place of trauma and pain, I allow them to, providing it's a safe environment, just talk about it. And once they're in, once I get to a place of a little bit of clarity, I then talk to them about really their heart. How are they feeling with their compassion? Where do they need to give forgiveness? Mm -hmm. Where is their sense of gratitude in whatever's happened? Where is the wisdom for it? So what I try and do is I try and thread in a technique to allow them to see where is the wisdom, where is the story of your pain, where is that trauma coming from, and why is it coming? And where is the essence of it so that they can have some compassion for themselves and try and get them to work on looking at the situation as a gift rather than a trial. Mm -hmm. It is very delicate work that I do um, and it is very much working with the inner peace equilibriums which is what I'm, what I'm specialising in. But it's just getting them in that place where they suddenly see their trauma as a realisation of wow, okay, I think I know what this message is or where this is going to be taking me. So that transition, for our you know. audience, for those that don't know, 
what, what is it that you actually do? Tell yeah. us a little bit about inner reflections, inner reflections about the work that you do. And uh, I mean, you've always already given us the background. You were once in corporate, yeah. and you you moved on. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do here in the UAE yes. and how you help people. So, inner reflections is really a celebration of heart, mind, body, and soul alignment. Okay, and. Basically, it is well, what I do is inspirational speaking in alignment to the heart, working very much with self-worth and inner peace. I do a lot of poetry as well, an artist of words. Mm. So I work with words to help with the heart vibration, to help the heart kind of align itself with sensitivities and compassion and gratitude, forgiveness and patience. And then also being a kinesiologist as well, I work with the body's natural energy system in creating balance, but more so, again, working with inner peace core values in my consultations. So again, finding the compassion for self, finding the compassion for others, allowing that person to really build in gratitude into their life and work with patience as a technology. Um, and also really learn to be able to forgive, forgive themselves and forgive others. Because mm -hmm. what I've learned in the work that I've done over a good number of years and the systems that I've worked with and the trainers that I've worked with, ultimately what I find is it's the heart that needs purification and cleansing and, and food. It's usually the heart that is behind a lot of the stagnations and traumas and pains. Um, and that's why now in Inner Reflections, when I do my talks, when I do my poetry a lot of the time and I do my consultations, it's about elevating that heart space through various techniques that I use to get people into a space where they are free and they're able to let go of the pains and the traumas, you know. Thank you. So you're a poet. I am. Um, one of the things that attracted to me about you when I first met you was your use of language and your play on words. Okay. Personally, I'm very seduced by language and very seduced by words. Yeah. And I love it when it's spoken poetically and beautifully. How important do you feel that language is in terms of connecting with people, in terms of connecting with their heart and their soul? It's, I would say it's a couple of things. Definitely the words, but the words have to have a certain vibration to them. Mm -hmm. Now I'm actually quite fortunate, I'm quite gifted because my tone is kind of in the middle, it's kind of like a really easy going wave tone. So when I'm speaking, people are attracted to that tone. So mm -hmm. that has a huge part to play. So it's the words, it's the depth behind the words when you're speaking them. So if the person feels the word in their heart and really resonates with it, the vibration of that word when they're speaking it is gonna change. And another person's gonna pick up on that. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's for me, it's not just the word, the word has to have a meaning. It has to have a meaning that means something to you. So when you're saying that word, that person's feeling the energy of that word. So it's literally bringing the words to life. It's very difficult to explain in words. You also but, focused you know, on tonality and delivery. Very much. Is this something that comes natural to you or is it something that you've worked on? Very good question and to be honest, it's a gift that I do have that I have nurtured over many, many years um, and kind of self-taught myself through the corporate work that I did. A lot of the work was presenting in auditoriums, presenting at CEO board level. Mm -hmm. 
So, to, and also when I was working in Harrods, for example, learning how to pitch and tone perfectly for the right vibe. So when you're in a corporate, it's got to have a certain authority. When you're speaking to a stranger, you've got to have a certain authority. And to be honest, it's a gift that I do have, but I've had to develop it over mm. years. It's not something that you can crash course learn in, in a week or two mm. weeks. It's something you need to play with just like as if you're an artist. You need to develop your brush stroke technique to get the perfect picture. And using your tonality is an art. It's not something that you can crash course and learn. Yes, you can learn the strategy of what tonality gives you, but you need to fine tune it, just like an artist when painting a picture. Okay. You know what I mean? So for our audience listening, how would they be able to fine tune their tonality? What, what do you recommend that they do? I would say, first of all, find a subject that you love and sit down on a comfortable chair in front of a mirror and talk about that subject to yourself yeah. in the mirror. And then explore two or three primary emotions while using that tonality. And allow yourself to be in a space where you're not being judged by others, nobody's watching you, and it's just you alone in front of the mirror talking about the passionate subject that you love in three different emotions. And play around with that so you can see and hear the vibrations of that tonality. And then find the space that allows your tone to make you feel something. Mm -hmm. And then test it out with somebody who you trust, who is somebody who's not gonna really criticize, but also be in your space. And play with that tone that you're comfortable with that makes that person feel something. And then start exploring that tone. So what your end result is trying to be is, you want the other person to feel your words. You're only gonna get that once you understand yourself, the frequency of anger, the frequency of being calm, and the frequency of not being calm. And work out which tonality needs to be your skill. I mean, the other day I met a lady who does poetry as well. But her poetry is um, activism poetry. It's politically driven. So her passion tone can come across quite aggressive but that's her tone that's the way her that's her vibration so that's her thing somebody else could be very angry but that's their tone so, so they I'm, it's just finding what's comfortable for you and knowing what 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 are you looking to achieve yeah. you know that's that's what it's about do you have any practical strategies that they could do um any exercises, vocal exercises or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, there's a simple skill that we've learned. Um, take, for example, a tune that you love. Mm -hmm. It could be Somewhere Over the Rainbow. It could be Happy Birthday. And sing that tune in two or three different tones so that you get to experience those words in a state of emotion, in a state of calm, and in a state of being jovial mm. and allow that song to play and use that as a technique to allow yourself to know okay if I'm going to speak to somebody and I really want to get a message across I'm going to go high pitch with these particular words in that song and it's got to be a song that you naturally know every word to not necessarily a song that you need to think about so it needs to be a song that you know off by heart and you need to put yourself in that space for whatever that pitch and to be honest it's about playing so you choose a song yeah and you sing that song in three different tonalities yeah 
kind of like in a low tone, a medium tone and a high tone. Yeah, That's not really just the tone, I would say also access the emotion associated mm -hmm. with that tone. So it can't just be the tone. It's got to be an emotion associated with it because remember something, and a lot of the work that I do is inspirational speaking and people do come up to me and say, you know, wow, I would love to, mashallah, be able to do what, what you do. And I say, you know what? You need to come from a place of passion, which you've got. You need to have that passion. The strategy you will learn, that that's not hugely difficult. You can get courses online and we know trainers that do all of this stuff. But you need to activate the passion. And that is where people are lacking. They'll do the strategies, they'll do the courses. So they understand the system, but they don't have the passion. And it goes back for me with the work that I do, the heart. Where is it at home? Where is the heart vibrating? Where is your sense of peace and security? What is the passion giving you? Is it feeding the heart? Because if it is, then you'll be able to then slot into the strategy of knowing the tonality. The tonality has to have passion. It has to have something behind it. I think the voice needs to be exercised very much like every other part of our body. We need yeah. to exercise it. I love vocal exercises. I know for many years, and I'm still not comfortable with my voice, but for many years I thought my voice was too sh too quiet, mm -hmm. too much of a monotone. Mm -hmm. And so there's certain exercises that I've incorporated into my life, you know, before I go out on meetings, mm -hmm. and uh, which just by virtue of doing them mm -hmm. make my voice more clear and give me more clarity, mm -hmm. and that gives me more confidence. I have one where I, people must think I'm crazy. Like I literally stick my hand in my mouth. Mm -hmm. like, oh. And then I say, Mary has a little lamb, her fleece is white as snow, everywhere that Mary went. And that I also say tongue twisters over and over and over again. That's really good if you've got... Uh, <laughs> that is really good if you've got a um, dialect. Mm. If you have dialect, yeah. you know, like... A, a local dialect from where you're from and you want to kind of speak more clearly so I totally get you about coming from the heart and you have to feel the passion and that's one thing when I was interviewing Andy Harrington that he was focusing on as well in yeah. order for it to flow yeah in order to come from a place of authenticity yeah you've got to feel that passion and it has to come from the heart rather than the head because when it comes from the head you're just thinking he was focusing on as well in yeah. order for it to flow yeah in order to come from a place of authenticity, yeah. you've got to feel that passion and it has to come from the heart rather than the head. Because when it comes from the head, you're just thinking about what am I going to say next? Totally. You know, I cannot stress this enough. And I'll tell you, um, and people don't really understand this sometimes, but for example, if I'm doing any stage work or if I've got to perform anywhere or, or do a talk or anything like this, I have a script, I have a content you know, fleshed out. But a lot of my content, and I tell you this is true, comes alive in the experience of when I'm at that place. And it, it's, it, like, it just comes. And it comes because the stuff I'm talking about is so resonating with what I feel and my passions that it's flowing from this heart space. So when you've accessed that area and you've really got in vibration with it, the flow is different and people pick up on this energy. This is one of the reasons why recently when I've, when I've done stage work or whatever, the testimonials or the, and the feedback has been, 
I can't even hear you. I'm actually feeling you. Mm. And it's got to this stage where it's fascinating for me. Well, it's been happening for a long time, but when they say that, that's because something inside them is accessing and vibrating at the time when they're hearing the words. And it's not the tonality and it's not the words. It's the energy that's being projected in the words. How many and that hours, is it. How many hours of presenting? Because they talk about the 10,000 rule yet. You know, you have to do something for 10,000 hours to become unconsciously incompetent. Um, sorry, unconsciously competent. Mm-hmm. You have to do something for 10,000 hours to become consciously competent. Um, so yeah, so it's one thing a lot of our audience who will be listening do struggle with getting on stage. They struggle with the fear of public speaking. Mm-hmm. And whilst they have it within the heart and they have the passion and they have the desire to do that, to actually initially it's getting over that fear of standing on the stage and, and putting in putting in the hours of work. Yeah. How many hours of work have you put in to get where you are today? Let me just answer that question with a few things. First of all, I'd like to say, everything needs practice, like in anything. If you're going to learn to cook an amazing cake, you need to have cooked it a few times to get and tweak that ingredients. And it's one of those simple things, I tell you, an ingredient to cook a cake is not going to cut it. What's going to cut it is your understanding of knowing that that measurement needed to be tweaked a little bit. That the, that the tin you used was too thick and it crusted on the side. And it's those tweaking things. So it's not about so many hours. It's about a number of things. And I would say one of the very, very first core things is what's your self-worth? Okay, What is your self-worth all about? Forget the hours for a moment. Forget the training. Forget the methodology and the strategies. Let's go back to right to the beginning, and this is what I talk about. Where is your value for who you are? Where is your inner confidence coming from? You know, and and, and ask yourself some serious questions and really ruffle your internal feathers. Because we have to stop and we have to look in the mirror and we have to say, what do I see in that mirror? I wanna see the words of my reflection. Who do I stand for? Because we have to start believing in ourselves before we do anything. We can learn off by heart the strategies. We can be on stage for 10, 15, 20 hours a week, but we have to believe in who we are. We have to trust that we have got the power and the message and we are worthy of being in that place. Because often I come across this time and time again, have I given myself the compassion I need to? to be able to believe my story? Have I given myself the forgiveness to be able to know that I need time or I need time to grow or I need to develop this, whatever? Do I have the patience to be able to really know when to stand my ground and when to go out there and do what I need to do? Am I truly understanding my worth? These are really, really important, valuable questions that somebody needs to ask themselves before they go on that stage or that platform or that executive meeting or whatever it is to sell their ideology or their concept. They need to believe and trust in who they are. And I think that's where a lot of of disconnect is, okay? We can learn to articulate, we can learn the tonalities, 
but you need to dig into the passion and you need to dig into the passion with the self-worth. You need to believe and trust in that. You need to know that what I believe in, what I know, what I am is incredible. And then the passion starts. Once that is in place, the strategies start to work. So it's about having that, those milestones aligned in the right way, if you know what I'm trying to say. Um, when you're in a state of passion for what you believe, whether it's a cooking process, whether it's passion for music, whether it's passion for religion, whatever it is, when you're in that space, your knowledge for that subject, that vertical, flows at a different level because you're tapped into that whole passion and belief of it. So it just kind of flows in a like a river it just it just flows and I and I would also describe this whole experience like like a river once you're in that process of understanding where the flow is going from the passion flow it just runs smoothly and the strategies just lock into place so number one key is you know what look in the mirror and ask yourself some serious questions. What is giving my life soul? What is giving me food? What is giving me energy to be able to believe and trust in what I'm looking to do? And once you understand that and you're able to craft and nurture that goal, whether that's as a part-time hobby or whatever it is that you're doing, once you get that momentum going, that's when you'll be in a position to say, right, this is my baby and I now want to work on my baby and grow this and strengthen it. When you have that inner affirmation, then going on stage is nowhere near as frightening as so what, what it is. What I understand from what you're saying, we can, we can all have the techniques, we can all have the strategies, we can do all the studying in the world, but unless you're coming from the heart, unless you've got that passion and you're coming from the soul and you identify what that is, then it, it, it will be so much easier and so much more at flow Absolutely. Once, once you do that. You can eat as much kale as you want. You can go super vegan. You can cut out products that are not organic. You can, you can go straight on non-GMO. You can have all this amazing, incredible system in your life. But I'll tell you now, if your heart is stagnated the rest of the stuff just isn't going to work for you and I have been doing this type of work passionately for almost 25 years I mean I've really had to ask myself some questions about my timelines because I get asked this in interviews all the time and I even remember when I was 11 years old I understood the power of the heart at that age when I was 11 and through the years, and especially over the past 10 years, I've realized that the, that the system of the heart is 10, well, I mean, through studying it as well, it's 10,000 times more electronically, electrically, more magnetically powerful than the brain. And it's 5,000 more times more magnetic than the brain. The heart has a vibration that is beyond our understanding. And... And even with the work that I do with my one-to-one -one consultations, I, I go back to the basics because often it's the basics 
that are corrupted or stagnated or diseased. Mm. And they're all feeding from that inner self. Um, you know, we can, we, can do, we can do all these amazing things, we can go on amazing diets, do acupuncture all day, have, have amazing food going to our system, but we really need to work on that space. It resonates, everything comes from it. The wellness, you know, the emotions, the meridians, the flow of the energy, the mind, the heart, the soul. It all comes from, I believe, a vibration in a deep space. It's really interesting because before you came for the um, before you came for the interview today, and I was thinking um, about some of the questions that I wanted to ask you. Um, I had pre-prepared. I, I had pre-prepared some questions, but I was just thinking, like, what is it about you? What is it about your personality? About where you're from that resonates with me? Yeah. And I, you know, I was thinking of your passion, your soul, your purpose. But then, what I've already mentioned—the fact that you know, when you talk, it comes from your heart and not your head. Then I got slightly distracted. And I started watching a couple of uh, clips on YouTube. One was with Princess Diana, and the other one was Gary Vee. And it was so weird because in the, I watched them both after each other. Mm. Princess Diana, it was when she was being interviewed, and that famous Panorama interview. Yeah. And um, you know, and sh she was saying that the reason that I think there's discontentment in the royal family because of it, because she rules from the heart mm. and not the head. Mm -hmm. And then I went on to watch Gary Vee and he was saying exactly the same thing. He was giving an example of when he was working in the, uh, the wine business for his parents. Yeah. And it was the busiest time of year mm -hmm. and basically um, it was snowing outside and getting the deliveries out was uh, a challenge. And there was a woman phoned up complaining because she hadn't received her $40 crate of wine. So he actually got in his car and he drove for two hours mm. in the slow, snow and sleet to deliver that 40 bucks, mm. you know. And the point that he was making is that, you know, in sales, in anything in life, when it comes from your heart and not your head, you know, the lessons that you can gain from that, even if they're not appreciated by the other people, apparently that woman just took the wine and slammed the door in his face, yeah. but he said the lesson that he got from that mm. within his business for the future was, um, was priceless, really. Um, it's interesting, so maybe they were just signs that, you know, you were coming today and they were just signs that this is... Do you know, it's, it's a really powerful subject and I want to share this with you. Um, one person, a lady, said to me once, when I was doing some education, some training, she said to me, Sheba, you're just too compassionate. And your energy from your heart, it's like, it's so powerful. She was talking about just my empathy and my compassion. And she said, I really want you to kind of put that away. And I need you to just focus on this and this and this and this. And then we'll be, we'll be cool with this whole thing. And I remember getting into my car and thinking, wow, you know what? That is exactly the skill and strength that I have that cannot be taught, 
that is a superpower that we as humans have all got. Mine is nurtured. And for me to put that away and to pretend it doesn't exist and just develop a concept based on a methodology and a framework would be a tragedy. And that was my realization moment of right. This is my core. This is why people come to me. They are looking for something different. They're looking for a certain vibration they don't get somewhere else. And that was my turning point. I realized, I thought, no. The heart space, the empathy, the compassion, that is my food Mm -hmm. for people. And when they get that, trust me, I mean, the testimonials are just amazing. They literally give me goosebumps because these people are not even talking when they're talking to me about their feedback. They are, their bodies are changing, their cells are changing. Their whole perception of a situation is transformed. If I would have taken the advice from that woman who, you know, had her own agenda, fair enough, what a tragedy that would have been. And in fact, I came to know later on, she herself was suppressing her own emotions. There's a lot of things going on here. She herself had put up barriers. She herself was struggling with her own personal compassion. And she couldn't handle seeing it on display in a magnificent form. I'm not saying that's me, but I'm saying my silence or my ability to control it or whatever it was, was conflicting with the ideology of what she felt the system should be. And that's when I realized, I thought, no, we need to nurture the heart space more. They, it's, so, it's so key. Yeah, they say we teach what we need to learn. How much of your teachings do you actually need to learn yourself? The teachings you mean that I give other people or the teachings that I've learnt for myself, like how I feed myself with what I know? Yeah, your, your teachings, the, everything we've spoken about today, what you talk about on stage, Yeah. Uh, how much of these do you actually need yourself as well? Absolutely every single drop of it. Every single drop of it. And I'll tell you this, look, you know, and it's a funny joke, the work that we do and you know, whatever you're doing, if it's in, in the wellness industry or if serving people. We do this because we ourselves have gone through journeys in our lives where we've had to question ourselves or question our own self-worth or question our own compassion or our own gratitude. And there is not a single day that I don't go back to my basic framework and my faith, because that's played a huge part in my life. I'm a great believer in God and obviously my faith. Every single point in my day, I look in the mirror and I look at compassion, gratitude, forgiveness and patience as virtues that I need to always remind myself of. Every day I have conversations in my head about what's my worth? What's my aim? What am I doing? We are human beings. We're not designed to be perfect. And we're not designed to be robots. We're not designed to have everything right every time. But we are designed to self-heal. We are designed to be able to allow our gifts to work for us. That is something that God has given us, that we have. And activating that daily myself, I do all the time. I've got to have more patience in this situation because it's going to give me this. I need to learn to let go of this because it's feeding me in the wrong way. I need to know that I need to be passionate even more and I need to go and find 
X and Y and Z. It's not going to come to me on a plate, but I need to persevere. I need to have more compassion for myself today because I'm letting myself getting too much into my situation. So every single day I ask these questions. I'm not going to say to anybody, I'm a role model and I'm perfect. That would be wrong. And I think if you're an artist, you know, entrepreneur, author, wellness person, whatever you are, we have to be honest and truthful. We all have to take our own medicine. And that is absolutely key when you're growing and when you're learning. There's not a single day that I wouldn't look in the mirror and say, right, what demon am I battling with today? And then use my strategies and my faith to overcome those. Thank you. You're also a kinesiologist. For the audio, our audience watching who doesn't know what kinesiology is, can you explain what that is and how that fits in and complements your work? Absolutely. So kinesiology is like working with the body's natural energy system, using various techniques to kind of harmonize that flow of the energy in the body. So another way of describing it is, you know, you have needles in acupuncture. With kinesiology, you're balancing the body without the needles and you're using various techniques. So it's certain movements using certain muscles and getting biofeedback from the body. If there's a stress or a trauma, a mus muscle is gonna lock and unlock as a result of an imbalance. And then using the body's feedback and then using specific techniques to help harmonize the body. And those techniques could be neurovascular points, um, acupressure holding points, they could be running the meridians, they could be working with specific muscle movements to help activate the brain stimulation. So it's a number of things. Um, working with emotional stress release, various you know, um, different topics are within that methodology. And the techniques are again, biofeedback from the body using muscle and touching on the body. Mm -hmm. And even if touch wasn't involved, noticing as well. It's just through touch. Correct, it's just through mm -hmm. touch. And if touch isn't something that the person feels comfortable touching with, the, touching uh, specific the points in the body, touching the pressure points or touching specific points on the body, body, for example, on the arm, where you're looking to see the response of the muscle and how that muscle is, is performing, whether Can it's under stress, now? or not Are under stress. Able to do that? We can, we can do an example. Okay, so if you just hold your arm out for me now. So what I want you to do is, just relax your arm for a minute. So what I want you to do is, I just want you to hold your arm up. So you're holding the, the actual arm, but you're not kind of really pushing it too much. You're just holding it for me. Just hold, so you're just holding that muscle. And then all I'm gonna do is, I'm just gonna apply it two pounds, just a little bit of pressure to that muscle and just see where that muscle's going, okay? So I'm just gonna hold for you. And so what we have right now is what we call a lock. So the muscle is just holding itself. Just relax. And then what I'm going to do is I'm just going to play around with the muscle at the top. I'm going to switch it on and switch it off using spindle technique of just opening and closing it. So I'm going to try that technique again. So just hold your arm out for me. And I'm just going to play around with the muscle a little bit. Hold. Did you feel that the arm went down? Hold. So I didn't really apply much pressure, but can you feel it flopping just naturally? Mm. Okay, so what I'm gonna do now, is I'm just gonna play around with those spindles, hold. Now, can you feel like a hold? Can yeah. you feel it? Yeah, yeah. So relax. So what you're experiencing there is, when you felt it flop, I actually switched the muscle off and allowed the muscle to just disengage. There's specific, yogi, there's specific spindles in the muscle mm. membrane for this muscle, which is called the anterior deltoid muscle. 
I'm manipulating that, that muscle and switching it off and then you found that it just flopped. And then I switched the muscle on by opening that spindle area again and you felt that natural lock. Before I did that exercise, if you remember, you were just holding that muscle at some point. So I'm gonna ask you to do that one more time. Just hold that muscle for me. How does that feel? Does that feel like a lock or an unlock? A lock. A lock. Now I want you to say your name. Zoe. Can you feel it locking or unlocking? When you, when you said your name, you felt a? Zoe. It you felt a lock, lock. correct? Yes. Right. Now I want you to say somebody else's name that is not your name. Say a lie or something that does not represent you. A lady's name. Anybody's name. Uh, Sally. Can you feel the muscle going? Say Sally again. Sally. Can you see what's happening? What the body is doing there is when you said Zoe, the body knew it was true. The body knew you were not lying. The muscles, the membranes, the cells responded to that muscle lock and said, yes, you are Zoe. The muscle locked, it stayed where it needed to stay. When we applied stress to the mind by you saying a name that wasn't you, the muscle felt that energy as being not true and it went down. And it's saying to you, this is a stress. This is something that isn't real. That's feedback from that muscle telling me whether there's a stress or not a stress on the body, just particularly in the anterior deltoid muscle alone. What kinesiology is, and I won't go into too much detail because it is quite mind-boggling for some people to understand very quickly in a few moments, but what kinesiology is, is working with that methodology of is the body under stress or not, and trying to find the blocks in the body and allowing them to flow where they need to flow. So what would that exercise tell you about me and, and how would you overcome that? All that exercise was doing right now is just engaging that muscle, engaging that muscle to be able to give me feedback, to give me feedback. Then what I would do is a number of various exercises on you, um, depending on what the body wanted. So I would potentially have a menu of a number of things that I could offer you. And then we would see how your muscle was responding to those particular methodologies that we would use. So for example, if your body needed to go through an emotional stress release process, there are different ways I could do it. One particular protocol is called emotional stress release or another one is called heart speak. I have various different styles and methodologies. Another one is the inner peace equilibriums. If your muscle locked for that particular methodology, that would be the methodology that we would use to try and alleviate or you know, balance the trauma or the concern or the emotional stress release that you have. And once we go into that, I would look at the muscles locking as being something that was clearing and unlocking as something that needed more work. So we would use a series of techniques to be able to harness and understand where the direction is going from that. But what we were able to demonstrate just now is the difference between the body being stressed, which was that, and the body not being stressed at that particular moment, which was the holding position, mm. okay? Um, and what I, what I did there when I played around with your muscles was showing you the difference between a lock and an unlock so that you understand that difference and then you're using your name as an example. Another technique is think of a really happy moment, so hold your hand out. I want you to remember or imagine 
a really happy moment. So relax your arm for a minute, just hold it there. A really happy moment and tell me when you're there. I'm holding. Can you feel that? What does it feel like to you? A lock? A lock. Okay, so relax your arm. Now I want you to go to a memory or an experience that is painful or traumatic for you. Hold your arm out. So you're there. So hold. So get into the space where you're feeling that memory, that traumatic moment. Hold. And did you feel that go down? Mm -hmm. That is an unlock. So when you started getting into that space of recalling that moment, mm -hmm. your muscle didn't want to hold. And just before that, you noticed your muscle was still holding. And I asked you to go back into that space and reactivate that trauma and that feeling because your muscle was not responding correctly. So there could have been something that you were not thinking about. Okay. And sometimes the muscles can jam. That's another complete thing. And to unjam the muscle, there are different techniques that we can use. What I actually did was I studied this whole method of kinesiology, and I did it for, I think, a couple of years, more plus. And I got to a stage, again, where I realized that the skills that I have, that I've developed over my life wisdoms and my own nurturing, my own methodologies that I've created, are just as powerful, just as energizing, and in fact, in my opinion, even more encompassing. So now what I do is I use a bit of the kinesiology work where required in a session with a lot of the inner peace equilibrium work that I do because I'm finding now that that seems to have huge life-changing shifts in people um, with the words as well. So I do a lot of word, spoken word energy, and I also do the inner peace equilibrium work, and if required, sometimes the muscle testing, because I think that has its value too. So what I've done is created my own system because the kinesiology is amazing and incredible, but I also want my client to have a real connection with what's going on. They need to be understanding what is going on with their mind and their heart. Mm. And often with a lot of techniques that we use, people are not aware what's going on. And the, even though the cells in our bodies are so intelligent, and what I say is each cell's got its own brain, literally, I'm not even joking, we still need to allow this and this to, to connect mm -hmm. because that's where the power is. The it's heart and the brain to connect. Correct. It's not about, oh, I've had a, a cellular shift and now I don't feel pain anymore. It's about allowing your mind and your heart to know that there's been a connection. Not just, I've got rid of the pain and I've gone to an acupuncturist or I've gone here, I've gone there and it's gone away because that's not going to hold. What do you recommend for anyone experiencing pain Maybe, you know, bereavement or uh, the breakup of a relationship or it could be anything. Anyone experiencing deep pain, what advice could you give them? Pain, you know, pain is a relative word to a lot of people. I would say, I mean, obviously, if, it, if it's got to a point of mental health and it's and it's a pain which is really affecting the mental health well-being, always seek very professional mental health advice. So, you know, suicidal thoughts or where there's severe depression, there is a protocol in place for that. But at the same time, I would always say to somebody, 
the very first thing I would ask somebody to do really is to be able to get into a place of when they're accessing that pain or when they're in that hurt, hurt place, take their hand, put it on their heart and just feel the vibration of their heart and allow themselves to just draw on the energy of the heart, that the heart is alive, that it's beating, that it's keeping them alive and to draw on compassion for themselves because, and this is one of the, one of the equilibriums that I work with as a fundamental, when you're in a state of pain, try and get to a space where you try and give yourself some food before you do anything. And that food is, give yourself some compassion for yourself. Okay, I'm going through a really, really tough time and this and this and this. Give yourself a moment and say, right, you know what? I want to feed myself. I want to give myself some compassion. It's okay for me to feel this pain right now. And secure yourself in a space to allow yourself to know that it's okay to have that pain first. And once you give yourself that compassion, you're automatically automatically giving yourself some therapy. You're automatically saying to yourself, what I experienced was real. It really did happen. And now I'm going to contextualize it. Now I'm going to give it context and then move through how much of that context is going to affect your everyday life. And then, you know, there are different strategies you can use. But the number one tip is Give yourself some compassion first before you move on to anything else because that compassion will allow you to then seek whatever it is you're looking for, whether it's help, mm-hmm. whether it's time for you to really process what you're doing. You can't get there if you don't even give yourself some compassion. And I talk about this. I say to people who say to me, I can't get to the first step, Sheba. I just can't get there. And I say, well, where's your intention? Let's go right back. Let's go right back to the beginning. Do you have that intention, first of all, to try and even move? Uh, Yeah, I do. And I said, well, there you go. Give yourself some credit for that. Give yourself some credit, some self-compassion for the fact that you even have that intention in the first place. And when you have that step of knowing, you know what, I have the intention, doors start opening for you. Step one get so much closer because it's step one that everyone struggles with whatever it is with pain or trauma or, or, or a life goal or whatever it is step one is where people struggle when you have the core intention as a vibration I know I want to do this step one will come ten steps closer to you but it starts with that one place of okay I want to feed myself first When you're in pain, try and find a place where you can feed yourself. That's, I'm not saying take the pain away, I'm saying feed yourself first because the pain will be different after you've done that. And then it's a journey, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but it's really basic stuff. And I'm not saying, you know, oh my God, it's so basic, how could it work? Because people say, oh my God, can it be so basic? Essentially what you're talking about is acceptance. They need to accept where they are to be able to move forward. I think, you know, one of the first steps is to accept their current situation. There has to be acknowledgement for sure. But before there can even be acknowledgement, because some people are not in that space, they need to be able to stop to reflect on it. They need to be able to 
give themselves a reflection of some compassion before they can even acknowledge. You know, the acknowledgement for a lot of people is a very, very difficult and dangerous and hurtful place. I don't want to deal with this. And this isn't really happening to me. Yes, I have the pain and I know ways to deal with it, but they don't even want to accept the reasons. And I'm not saying go through a whole process, but I'm talking about a self-technique if, if you're not going to a professional. Mm. Reflect. Reflect on it. Um, don't dig the hole and get deeper into the pain. I'm saying stop to reflect on what you think you need for yourself. and Give yourself some compassion first. Because that will then give you the clarity you need to be able to have the realization, mm -hmm. to be able to have the acknowledgement to move forward with your strategy. Thank you. Sheba, where can people find you? So I am Sheba Bashir Kitchley with Inner Reflections. I am on Instagram, which is inner underscore reflections underscore by underscore Sheba. I have a website, which is inner hyphen reflections.com. I'm also on Facebook, which is Inner Hyphen Reflections. And my YouTube channel will be coming very soon. That will be Inner Hyphen Reflections by Sheba. And so will my podcast be coming too. But go onto my website, which is Inner Hyphen Reflections, and you should be able to get my contact details from there. Amazing. And my Instagram's pretty much up to date ish. Yes, yeah, so. I follow Sheba on Instagram, and she often goes live and posts very inspiring videos. So it's definitely worth giving her a follow, for sure. Do I you like the live and drives, then? <laughs> I love the live and drive. I get a lot of they value out of the live and drive. Yeah, so definitely go follow her on Instagram. Thank you so much, Eva. It's been so lovely talking to you, Zoe. Thank and you. I, um, it's just lovely to be in that space where you're just free to be able to explore the heart. You know, we all have a heart. We all have superpowers. And it's just a matter of, activating them and really aligning with them you know mm -hmm. so thank you for letting me share my wisdom and my words with